right, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Open your Bibles up. Genesis 18 is where we are this morning. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's right at the beginning. It's easy to find. And uh, Genesis uh, is a book of beginnings. It answers the big questions of why things are the way they are in the world and what God is doing in it and what God is doing about it. And so if you're just joining us uh, right now, we have been in a series that's just looking at a very small slice of this gorgeous book called Genesis. We've been looking at the journey of faith of Abraham and Sarah. Genesis tells us that God is not only the beginning of all life, but as we're going to find out in chapter 18, God is the beginning of new life for all that trust in Him, for all that believe in Him. So it's, it's, this is a really exciting chapter, actually, I think. Um, so we're going to get a lot out of it. Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15 is what we're going to read. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've been learning a lot through this series. Anybody else? Have you been challenged at all? I, I totally have. Um, I think it's been great. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 18, verses 1. We're going to go all the way down to 15. I may get excited and just read, keep reading, but I'll try to stop at 15. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran to the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I, find, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought. And wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may be refreshed yourself and after that you may pass on since, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you've said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we love you. Uh, we've come to, to hear your word today. We've come to be in your presence. And God, I pray that you would speak to us today. You are the God of all life, and you are the God of all new life. So Lord, I pray that right now that you would speak to us, help me speak boldly and clearly and plainly so that it'd be helpful to your people. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and Holy Spirit, that you would produce new life in us, that you would give us the ability to hear uh, what the Lord is saying in his word. You give us the ability to trust you, the ability to have faith in you, the ability to respond to you. And Lord, would you do an amazing work in each and every heart that's here right now. Bring us to life and help us let you in. We love you. We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Everything and everyone wears out. Have, have you noticed that this week? Have you taken time to, to notice that? Everything and everyone that works has a shelf life, so to speak, in regards to the work that it does or that they do. The av- I did a little research on the Internet. You know how scary that can be. But, uh, the average greyhound, you know the dog? Not the bus. The average greyhound. Do you know how long that they work? Four years. They retire at the ripe old age of four years old. Some of them retire at two years old. Well, that's short. Even for dog years, that's short, right? The average NFL player retires either after 3.3 years of playing in the league or five years, of, depending on how you do the math and when you start that. That's about as long as the dog, right? That's pretty short. In California, they say that public safety workers retire at the age of 55. For state prison guards and firefighters, 60. They do a little bit better. Age and prolonged stress can force the issue of retirement as well. In our early years of marriage, Vanessa and I, we lived in an apartment that was across from uh, a hand surgeon who was affectionately uh, known as Butch. And we really liked the guy. He was an older single gentleman. Uh, he was a great guy, a great neighbor, actually, but he had been forced into retirement because he had, a, he had a tremor in his hand. From all those, the stress of working on people's hands, of having to focus and be precise and just intensely focus. And so he was a great guy, but he couldn't, he, he couldn't do the work. He struggled to do that work. He had to retire. Age and stress can force that issue. But you know what? You don't have to be old for this affect you, right? You don't have to be old to be past your prime in certain careers. Injury can force the issue if you're young. That's kind of where the football thing comes in. Five years if you're not injured. There's a man that I got to know in our previous church. He was training to be a combat medic in the Army, and he was injured during his training. And he doesn't have the use of his legs now. It paralyzed him from the waist down. He's in a wheelchair. He didn't even get to go do what he was training to do. Okay? And God is his hope, and he has been an inspiration to me and many other people. But he didn't see that coming. That injury definitely changed his career trajectory. We live in a world, we live in a country that values 
youth and strength over age and experience. It is one of the highest values that we have in the American culture. The resounding message is that real life is dependent on being young and healthy and staying young and healthy. And since we're surrounded by this message everywhere we go, every place that we walk into, it's easy for us to think that life is over when we're past our prime, whenever that is for us. When our bodies stop working the way they've always worked, it's easy to believe that life is over for us. And this is why we need to hear what God has to say to us in Genesis 18. God produces new life in the worn out and the weary. God produces new life in the worn out and the weary. I want to talk about three ways that God actually produces this new life in us. And the first is by entering into communion with us. Think about that for just a second longer. By entering into communion with us. Once again, the story, the Lord has come down. He's appeared to Abraham. But this time the Lord comes down as a man. I mean, he's done that, I guess, before. But this is pretty significant here. Whenever you see, this is kind of a pro tip for interpreting the Bible, okay? Whenever you see the word LORD in all caps, that is the English translation for the name of the Lord, for, for Yahweh, all right? And that is the covenant name of God himself. That's how he's revealed himself to his people, Yahweh. And that's the word that's used here in all caps, LORD. Yahweh has definitely come down as a man. God has feet that can be washed with water. Has a mouth that can eat food and drink water. He takes up physical space as he sits in Abraham's tent having this meal. Uh, a theophany, uh, this is a theophany that we talked about before, right? But some scholars call this particular one a Christophany. All right? It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, flanked on both sides by angels. The Lord has come down as a man to eat a meal with Abraham. And you really need to grasp how amazing this is. We've talked about this before, about eating meals, how significant it was to share a meal with someone in this culture, to share a meal, to break bread with someone. It wasn't just because you were hungry. You were saying something. You were identifying with that person or that family. You were accepting them. You were embracing them. And if the relationship had been strained by having a meal, you were reconciling that relationship. You were mending that and bringing them back into the family, back into that relationship. This is a big deal that God is doing here. Nowhere else in the Bible does God have a meal with humans. Except when Jesus shows up. The incarnation, God in the flesh. It's a remarkable act of humility on God Almighty's part to do this. And it's completely unheard of at this time. God stoops down to have a meal, to identify with Abraham, to enter into a relationship with him. You should just let that blow your mind for a second. God! And here's something else that's amazing. There's no mention of the promise during this meal. Did you guys pick up on that? Did you notice what wasn't there? 
No mention of the promises of God. No mention of the land. No mention of son. No mention of blessing. No mention of any of that stuff. Abraham is completely satisfied sharing the company of the one who's supplying him oxygen at the meal. He is taken care of. He is satisfied. He is wanting nothing else. What started out as a refreshment for his visitor, right? A morsel, a little water, has turned, he just turned into a full-blown, expensive, lavish meal. Abraham goes completely overboard with this meal just to get the Lord to linger with him a little bit longer. And he just stay a little longer. Why? Because he's satisfied. He's satisfied. He's satisfied with communing. With the Lord. And here's what I really want you to notice about Abraham. He's acting like he's 30 years old, not 100 years old. This is incredible, guys. This is it. Look, let's look at the text, verse 6 through 8. I really want to pull this out for you and show you this. This is amazing. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour needed to make, it, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. hundred years old and he's standing up while these, while these men eat at their leisure. And he's like a waiter. Can I get you anything else? Clearly something's gotten into Abraham. He's acting so young. He's acting so energetic and vibrant. The dude should be creeping around with a walker, right? <laughs> he's a hundred. Should be creaking and creeping around. Instead, he's buzzing around the tent like a waitress on roller skates. You know, he's just zipping around. It's amazing. It's, it's like he's been given new life. Sometimes in biblical narratives, the authors like to do a little show and tell. You know what I mean by that, show and tell? They want to show you what they're trying to tell you. Okay? God entered into communion in the tent with Abraham and gave this old man new life. And he is a visual of what God is going to do to Sarah a little later on. But we'll get to that in a minute. Abraham opened up his entire home to the Lord and let him in. And God has energized him with life and vitality. He's produced new life in this man. Same man, right? That's incredible. We have a God that is unlike any other God. Unlike the gods of money and metals and sports and family and beauty, our God doesn't demand that we work our way to him, that we work our way to his life. Our God humbles himself and comes down to us so that we who are worn out, we who are weary, can have new life. Our God, the creator of the cosmos, of the galaxies, comes down into our neighborhood and 
knocks on our door so that he can enter into a life-giving relationship with us. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. And you know what? He's been doing this since the beginning, since the Genesis. And he hasn't stopped. He hasn't stopped doing this. Guys, here's what we need to do in response to this. We need to do what Paul McCartney and Wings sang about years ago. You guys know the song I'm thinking of? Someone's knocking at the door. Somebody's ringing the bell. Do me a favor. Open the door. What? And let him in. Let him in. Let him in. You hear him knocking on the door? Do yourself a favor. Let him in. You guys, you know what? That's different than asking God to take something painful away from us, isn't it? That's different. When you're frustrated with how you can't remember the things that you used to be able to remember, instead of giving in to the anger, instead of giving in to that frustration, open the door and ask God to come into that with you. And stand there with you in that moment. Are you hearing me? When you are struggling with pain that you deal with over and over, day after day, open the door and ask God to come into that pain, come into that moment with you. So you're not alone in that. Ask Him to come in. When you're saddened by how your career was cut short and it didn't turn out the way that you planned it to turn out, Ask God to come into that with you. I'm talking about in the moment, in real time. Come into that with me. With you. God will enter into it with you. He will come in and he will commune with you. And will produce that new life that you need at that moment. In the moment. That's having a relationship with the Lord. Let him in. God produces new life And us who are weary by exposing our wounds. God does this actually by exposing our wounds. Let's look back at the text, verses 13 through 15. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That word can be translated as too wonderful. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I I did not laugh. Why? It says, for she was afraid, which makes me want to know, afraid of what? So she was afraid. No. He says, no, but you did laugh. You did laugh. Though Abraham is addressed in the conversation, he's the one that's hosting this meal. God has come for Sarah. This is clearly for her blessing, for her benefit. Remember Sarah, she's battled infertility her entire life. There's a great amount of shame that she's carried with her uh, as women would in that time and that culture for not being able to have a child. And women still carry that kind of shame with them today when they can't bear children. She's been living for 13 years, 13 years with the consequences 
of a failed attempt to redeem herself. And it also reminds her every day of how she failed to believe in God. It's a little bit of a reminder of that every day. Look, there's no delicate way to put this, and the writer of Genesis doesn't try to be delicate about it. just puts it out there. Sarah's very old, and her body is worn out. She's getting near the end of her life. And not only that, the writer makes mention that she's living through menopause. That's what he's talking about. In Sarah's mind, I just want you to see how relevant the scriptures are today. We live in a time in a society that says, if you're not young and healthy, then life is over. This is exactly what she's dealing with, guys. It's almost like this is, could have been written a week ago. She thinks in her mind that time's run out for her to be a mother. And you almost get the sense from her comments that she, be, comments that she believes that if she can't be her mother, then life's over. And mothers for young women. And she's not a young woman anymore. The adoption option with Eleazar, that was closed really quick, remember? The surrogate option with Ishmael only increased her sorrow. That is closed. Her own womb is closed. This promise of God that she's going to have a son by her own body must have felt a little bit like a cruel joke from God. Are you kidding me? I mean, can you blame her for laughing? Can you blame her for not exactly trusting the Lord when she hears this? There's a wound there. There's a wound there. Partially self-inflicted by her sin, yes. And partially not. But God knows this about Sarah, and he puts his finger right on the wound. And Sarah's so taken aback by this that she lies to God. Now that's gutsy. But she lies to God. And God calls her out. Sarah says, hey, I didn't doubt. And God's like, uh, well, actually you did lie. You did doubt. And, and in fact, you're lying. So it's like double busted. Okay? And like that's it. And the story's over. And the scene just like abruptly ends. And we go on to another scene. It doesn't resolve. She's just exposed. That's very interesting to me as I'm reading this. Now the question is, why? Why does Sarah lie? It's because like Eve before her, she's covering her nakedness. She's covering what she's most ashamed of. She didn't want anyone to see that or hear that or know that about her. And is this not why we lie to God, men and women? Is this not why we lie to God? Let's be honest. Can we be honest? Absolutely. Is this, like, the reason why we lie to one another? Sure it is. It is. Oh, you look lovely in that dress. Does this dress make me look fat? No, it makes you look thin. <laughs> it's duck and cover, right? You think I'm a good leader? Oh, yeah, you're a great leader. Duck and cover. We do this. Something inside of us is wrong at a deep level. Something is broken and our attempts to fix it have failed. And we feel it and we know it. And so when we're confronted with that, when the light is shined on that, we want to cover it up. In fact, that's what we call lies, don't we? 
a cover-up. That's a cover-up. But why does God stick his finger right on the sore spot and not let up? Why is he doing that with Sarah? Why is he not letting her off a hook? Why is he exposing this wound? He knows about it, but why, why expose it? Why bring it out? Is he trying to hurt her? I'm sure it was uncomfortable. Is that what he's trying to do? Is God trying to hurt her? Is he trying to like just twist the knife just a little bit deeper? Is that what God's trying to do to this woman? No. Not at all. Not by a long shot. God exposes her lie and puts the finger on the wound to show that her attempts to cover her wound don't work. And they're not going to work for her. He's doing it because he loves her. He's being a medic and dropping in. You see, he knows this wound is actually getting between her and the new life that God wants to produce in her. She can't have that as long as this is the focal point. As long as this is in between her and God. Are you tracking with me? And he knows that. And that's why he's bringing this up. She has to let God into the wound before she can experience the new life that he has for her. You know, sometimes our lack of faith in God comes not from an intellectual problem that we have with God, but because of a wound that we have experienced. We, we doubt that God can produce new life in us. Because we hurt. And we don't want him to know about it. We don't want him to know that's the reason, right? Why? Because it's scary. It's a, it's, we feel ashamed of it. And it's kind of scary. Like, what's he going to do if he finds out about it? I know what other people have done when they found out about it. What about God? This is kind of like the thought process that we go through. How can we trust the Lord with our pain, with our wound? It's because the Lord is the only God, check this out, that suffered deep wounds himself he suffered incredible mental abuse and physical abuse himself so much so that it left scars you see here in this passage christ comes to expose wounds but years down the road later christ would come to bear wounds receive wounds so that we who trust in him can be made whole. Amen? This is the good news of the gospel. This is the gospel. Look at 1 Peter 2, 24. Check this out. Peter, there's an eyewitness of the crucifixion. He saw Jesus getting those wounds. He says, he, Christ, Christ himself bore our sins in his body, that's important, in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Guys, God wants to produce new life in us by not just communing with us, by exposing our wounds. You can trust God with that. I want to tell you that. You can trust God with your wounds. He's doing it to produce new life in you. Can I, can I just gently shepherd you for a minute here and say something that you may not want to hear, but is good to hear? Okay? Can I do that? 
you need to stop lying like you're fine because you're not fine. And that's okay. It's okay that you're not okay. That's why we have Jesus. All right? You need to stop covering yourself. You make bad clothes to cover you. Jesus makes great clothes of righteousness to cover you. You need to let God speak into that wound. You need to let him into that. Not just like, yeah, say a word and glance off the side. You need to let him into it, okay? It's good for you. And when that time comes, because I know this, this is not like flip a switch. I get that. This doesn't happen overnight. But when that day comes and that time comes, you need to tell God that you're sorry. That you're sorry that you let your wound define you for so long instead of letting him define you. Okay? That you let your pain dictate how you were going to live your life and the decisions you made instead of letting him dictate how you were going to live your life. He loves you. He's bringing it up to bring it out. You can trust him with that. How can you trust him? Because he's got the scars himself to prove it. He is trustworthy. I'm going to share, share a little story. There's a, there's a story about a woman who brought her son in. Her son is very ill, brings him into the doctor. And the doctor's going to give him a shot, and the shot is going to help him. He's got a wicked in, infection, and he's got to get a shot. Now, he's a little kid. He's three. And she's holding him down. And she, the, the mother, mommy leans over to the little boy and says, Oh, don't worry, this isn't going to hurt. And you know what the doctor says? He corrects the mother. She meant well. She meant well. She said, no, son, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt you, but it's not going to harm you. That's the Lord. This will hurt. It will not harm you. God does no harm. God produces new life by exposing our wounds, and we need to let him in. But he also, he also does this. He does it by putting his spirit inside of us. Genesis 18, uh, verse 11. Let's go 11, 12. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Like, they got it, like he's got to say it twice. We get it already, okay? They were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? God is going to do the wonderful through the impossible. God is going to use Sarah to show us and the world that he alone, he alone produces new life in people. God has promised her motherhood, and he has guaranteed it. He's put a time stamp on it. He's got to pull through now. Like we said, Sarah's not only battled infertility her entire life, but now she's also hit menopause. So think about this. From a biological point of view, in regards to motherhood, 
in regards to being a mother, her body is doubly dead. There is no way this is going to happen. It cannot happen. She's absolutely cannot physically conceive or deliver or nurse a baby into boyhood at this point in her life. Okay? There's nothing about her that can create life, bear life, or sustain life. Matter of fact, she's getting to near the end of life herself. She's like a tree in wintertime. And God says she is going to start bearing leaves and fruit. This is amazing. Which means something. It means that God himself is going to have to radically change her on the inside for any of that stuff on the outside to happen. Are you tracking with me? He's got to do something on the inside so that the, her body, the external things, can happen. His spirit must come upon her and come inside of her so that her womb is fertile, her skin can stretch, and her body can produce milk again. He is going to make her like a young woman again. By putting his spirit inside of her, God is going to recreate her. God is basically making her new again through his spirit. That's the only way that this happens. When we come to a place in life when we are worn out or weary, the world tells us what we need to do is reinvent ourselves. We need to reinvent ourselves to stay relevant. Right? Just reinvent yourself. That's all you got to do. People do this all the time. Is that how you get a new lease on life? Reinvent yourself. That's what the midlife crisis is all about as opposed to just going through the midlife transition. I'm going to be young. And that's what the world's advice is. And people do it all the time. Pop singer Madonna, she, she did this for decades. Right? Notice I said she did it. Michael Strahan's a really great uh, example right now of doing that. Um, Michael Strahan, if you don't watch a lot of golf, was the defensive end of the New York Giants, all right? Uh, great football player, uh, big guy. He got too old, and he had to retire from football. So he reinvents himself. He's a sport analyst. That kind of makes sense. But then he goes and reinvents himself again. Now he's a talk show host with uh, Kelly on live. And then he goes and reinvents himself again. Good morning, America. And then earlier this year, we see Michael Strahan at the Oscars hosting the Oscars. Like, Michael Strahan, the football player, is rubbing shoulders with artists and actresses. Just reinvent yourself. That's how you, get, that's how you stay forever young. And that's how you have real life. That's how life just keeps coming to you. But here's the deal. You can only reinvent yourself so many times. Amen? You can only do that so many times. The truth is, it's exhausting to reinvent yourself. It just wears you out. And if you're already worn out, the last thing you need is to wear yourself out more. It's craziness. We don't need to be reinvented. What we really need is to be reborn. And those are different. Those are different. Those are different. 
they're not even the same neighborhood. We need to be reborn. We need to receive a new life from God himself, a life that cannot be worn out, cannot be washed up, because it's forever. It's a forever life. It's eternal life. And that life is life with him. That's not like just life in heaven on a little island of paradise. That's life with him. Life with him. And you know what? We cannot produce that kind of life in ourselves. Only the Holy Spirit can produce that kind of life in us. You see, like Sarah, it's on the inside. It's from the inside out. And Jesus says the very same thing to Nicodemus when talking with him about having eternal life with the Father. He tells Nicodemus that he needs a new birth if he's going to have new life. You've got to have new birth if you want to have new life, this eternal life that never ends with God. Look at John 3. Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? So he's thinking physical, right? Bio- biology. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answers. He's like, no, you're not getting it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He cannot have eternal life, an unending, never-breaking, never-stopping, forever life. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. No matter how worn out or how weary we feel, family, God wants us to have new life, life with him. It's a life filled with freedom from our wounds and contentment in the present because we are with him. We're satisfied with him. And you know when eternal life starts? Now. Now and never stops. It does not stop when we die and go to heaven. It starts now and it never stops. He produces this new life in us by putting his spirit in us and we need to let him in we need to let him in so what so what you're probably thinking like what does that mean for me it means a couple things if you're a believer in jesus it means that you need to rest in your rebirth if you have put your trust in jesus christ then you need to rest in your rebirth stop trying to reinvent yourself you don't have to reinvent yourself and you don't need to You don't need a new car, a new career, a new spouse, a new baby, a new hair color, a new title, a new city to live in with bigger opportunities. You don't need that to have new life. You don't need that. That's great if you get that, but you don't need that to have new life, a meaningful life. You have everything you need right now. Amen? Someone say amen. That's right. You have everything that you need right now. You have been reborn, and Christ's Spirit himself lives in you. You've got God. What else do you need? You've got God, man. You've got God forever. What do you lack? Rest in your rebirth. If you're not yet a believer, if you have never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, like you know about him and you think he's a good person and a great teacher, but like you still basically kind of trust yourself, 
then here's what you need to do. You need to ask God to put his spirit inside of you. That's what you need to do. Because you're dead. You can't even believe because you're dead. You can't even trust in him unless he puts his spirit in you to give you that trust, to give you that faith. It's a gift. So you need to ask him, put your spirit in me. I don't believe. And he will. He'll help you believe. Like he'll help you believe. <laughs> it's amazing. Open the door and let him in. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for talking to us. We thank you that you are the God who produces new life. And us who are weary and we're burdened and worn out and drugged down, you produce new life in us. You put your spirit in us and you renew our youth like the eagle. You renew our strength. We thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus. Because it's by his wounds that we're healed. It's by his death that we get life. And because he was cut off, we're brought in forever and ever and ever. Thank you, God. Thank you that you are doing now what you've done since the Genesis, that you've done since the beginning. We love you, God. And I just pray right now that you begin producing that life in every one of us right now, that you start doing business with us, that you would start exposing wounds, that you would come and commune with us, and that your spirit would fill us so that, that we would receive you and all that you have for us, Lord. You're a good God, and you do good things, and you're worthy of our praise and our obedience and our trust and our love and our worship. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.